queer life in Montreal was wild. Montreal in the 90s was a great time, but it had a dark side. It was not a safe city for gay people back then. But what else was behind a series of deaths in the city? Somebody's killing gay men. We want to know why. I'm Francis Plourde, and this is The Village, The Montreal Murders. Get early access to episodes at cbc.ca slash listen or by subscribing to the CBC True Crime Premium channel on Apple Podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. So this white tent here, that's been our home base. That has been a warming tent. It's been a tent where individuals have desperately needed to come in out of the cold, out of the wet. If I had a magical power, I'd like to make that tent come to life because the stories I could tell would be fantastic. That's Matthew Grant standing in the middle of a homeless encampment outside Halifax City Hall. Last fall, he started a project called Sleep On It with his friend Stephen Wilsack. They collected mattress pads, sheets, rain gear, supplies for residents. But when they arrived to drop off the supplies, they realized that even more was needed. And so they decided to move in. All those tents here, donations, supplies, propane, bedding, but everyone's got electricity. So we got the battery pack here, so we're tied into the city, so it runs here. Everything's got power here and power all the way down there. Now, two months on, the Paris tent has become, in many ways, the heart of the encampment. And life there is getting easier with access to things like power and toilets. Stephen Wilsack joins me now. Stephen, good morning. Good morning, Matt. You and Matthew have jobs, you have families. Why did you decide to stay at this encampment? Matt, I am a proud Nova Scotian. I've never seen encampments in my life at City Hall. It tore at our heartstrings. Once we pitched a tent and decided to stay, we realized this is vulnerable individuals. They need help. We couldn't leave. And we've been there for 60 days now. What have you learned in being there for 60 days? What I've learned in 60 days is everyone there shouldn't be there. There is working poor that is there. There's individuals with drug addictions. There's individuals that just need help. And we're extending our arm and saying, we're here for you. We're providing moral support. And we want to find housing for you somewhere, somehow. The more, system's broken. Well, more moral support and more. I mean, as we heard, the city has now supplied electricity to the encampment. What has that meant for people who are living there and for, for their safety when they have some, they have power, the lights actually can come on? It would be like running in the middle of the woods and extending an extension cord and showing someone for the first time that they have power. Uh, it also showed that people do care. The city of Halifax, Mayor Savage, the councillors, Tony, Max, they're all there wanting to make a difference to figure out how we can help these individuals. People now can charge their phones. They have a heat source. They have light. They have 36 square feet of comfort that they never had before. And this represents independence. It represents that somebody cares for them. And the community is there saying that we're here to support you. Are you surprised that this step was taken? This is an historic site on the Grand Parade in front of, as you said, City Hall in downtown mm -hmm. Halifax. 
Um, we often think of encampments as temporary spaces, uh, tents that are set up, makeshift shelters. To have electricity run in is a big step. Are you surprised that, that the city and the councillors, as you mentioned, move forward with that? Initially, I was. When we first moved in there, we recognized very quickly, Matt, that there is a need for power. Uh, we set up our own generators there. Uh, we had a, another company, Star Power Atlantic. Uh, they brought in a huge generator donation, and uh, we realized very quickly that power was an essential service to make lives better there. In cooperation with WF White, I work in the film industry as a health and safety officer. They provided the necessary wiring to do it. And then we made a proposal to the city and the city said, yes, this mm -hmm. makes sense. So being volunteers there, uh, they realized that we could help service the system. And it was a, and it was an easy win. It was something that the city said, yes, we can do that. So not, we're grateful for the city. Not everybody is comfortable with this. This is, as I said, in the heart of the city. It's a public square. Mm -hmm. um, you have the, the CEO of the Downtown Halifax Business Commission saying that businesses are getting increasingly concerned about safety in the area. What would you say to people who, who don't believe that this should become a, a, a more permanent setup? When you run power into, into an encampment, that seems to suggest that it's going to be there for, for a little while. So for, for people who are uncomfortable with this, what would you say to them? Well, first of all, uh, we've hired on security uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week to help support our system. We clean the, uh, clean the site on a daily basis. We probably have one of the most uh, clean cleanest encampments in the country. We're there to answer questions. We're there to support everyone. In terms of the permanency off of it, nobody wants shelters. We'd be the first one to say we want out of there right away. The system's broken. We must rebuild it. And this has given us a platform to say enough is enough. Let's get the hum basic human rights of individuals and let's make housing first. And we've gotten tremendous support from the business communities. We've gotten support from our Nova, Nova Scotians. We have received donations. We've received care from other volunteers coming in. So we all want to make this go away. And this is an emergency situation. It's the middle of winter right now. Mm. We wouldn't put a pet outside. So how can we allow our individual Nova Scotians to be out there? So we're doing everything that we can to make sure that they can go inside. There's been pressure put on the government. The government stepped up. They did a $3 million initiative in order to help the unhoused. Mm. So it's the, it's the start of building the system again. Stephen, I'm glad to talk to you about what's happening there and how that's being received in the community. Thank you very much. Thank you for shedding light on the unhoused. Stephen Wilsack is a volunteer in the encampment in Halifax in the downtown core, right in front of City Hall in the Grand Parade. While power and toilets might be a start for some people, people still need housing. In Waterloo Region in southwestern Ontario, one solution is tiny homes built and managed by the municipality. It's probably about eight and a half feet wide and about 15 feet in length. So your average car parking spot. And inside the cabin here, we have a double bed, a fridge, a student desk, a lamp, shelves. And then um, it's up to us to accommodate our own entertainment. So some of us have TVs and stuff and others have like sound systems and it's kind of cool. Justin Barbuto and his girlfriend moved into his tiny home last May after spending two years in a tent encampment. Having the tiny home 
will help us get to that next step, it being a transitional stepping stone to get us into um, affordable housing much faster. Having more resources come in and help you out on a day-to-day basis. And from here, it's basically uh, sky's the limit, I would say. Jim Erb is a Waterloo Regional Councillor and Chair of the Municipality's Community and Health Services Committee. Jim, good morning to you. Good morning, Matt. You just heard a resident say the sky's the limit after living in one of these tiny homes. What does that say to you? Um, The words are um, music to our ears. Um, A survey we did of residents that were living there after the first four months, um, they told us it was a life-changing experience. And I think what um, you just heard from Justin is confirming that. Just describe, I've seen a tour of these tiny homes and Justin described uh, what it's like with a a small space and a bed and a desk and a fridge and an air conditioner. Um, Describe how many people live in this location. There are are, are 50 tiny homes. Um, In the um, center of the um, area, there is a um, a common space where people can um, come and, and get meals three times a day. There are showers, there are washrooms, um, a common area where they can hold group meetings. It's trying to create a community where people can come, build up relationships, feel safe. One of the significant pieces for these people is that they, um, what something that we often take for granted, they lock their doors and they feel safe. Mm. And so the whole idea is to stabilize them and give them a safe place where they can begin a road to um, recovery. Tell me more about this and why this was needed in the region. How, how, how severe, we've, we've talked about a homelessness crisis across this country. How severe was the crisis in your community? We, we did a, a point in time count um, about a year ago and um, recognized that we had over a thousand people that were living unsheltered. Um, we um, decided that that is not a way that we are prepared to um, see the people in our community live. Um, our council made a significant decision to invest some money in, in creating this um, this community. And um, we had no difficulty getting people that have um, moved in. And the good news is that once people are here and have three or four months to stabilize themselves, we've been able to um, transfer 10 people from this site into housing and obviously then making space for another 10 people. Tell me more about that because again, um, what we heard from Justin was he moved in last May. He referred to it as transitional housing. How long do you expect people to be there and where would they go in the midst of a housing crisis once they are able to leave the tiny home? Uh, One of the challenges is the um, ability to create as much affordable housing um, as we can. However, the region is also committed to building 2,500 affordable housing units in the um, in five years. We're three years into that, and we have already built 2,300 homes. So we, um, while there is not a, a long, long list of spaces available when people are ready to transition, um, we have been able to do that. Um, there's another organization called House of Friendship um, who was independent that has done a similar kind of uh, a development in, in the city of Waterloo. And out of the 100 people that are living there, they've been able to move 21 people into housing. And so it proves that when we are able to um, stabilize people's lives, get supports in place for them related to um, health concerns, drug addiction, that they are anxious and able to move on into another type of housing. How has your community responded to this project? 
the um there was concerns there's always concerns by the community but it has been um it's the um site has staffing 24 hours um a day what were, what were those concerns the concerns would be um that the um people that may be living there would be loitering that there might be um theft there would be um um, the, the site would be unkept, but that hasn't materialized. We've had very, very limited um, complaints from the neighborhood. Now, this site is on the perimeter of um, the city of Waterloo, but we do um, provide a shelter, shelter service for the people that um, live there um, and takes them into the community two or three times a day if they want to visit family, if mm -hmm. they want to go grocery shopping, um, if they want to, if they have a health appointment um, for a variety of reasons. Just before I let you go, we're going to hear about an, another initiative that's happening in Peterborough, um, Ontario. But from your perspective, as we talk about this housing crisis, it, are these sorts of moves like your community has, has made, are they necessary in the short term to address this? Everybody needs more housing. We want to build more housing. But in, until we get to that point, is something like this what's required? Absolutely. Um, at our most recent budget in December, we've um, allocated or we put money in the budget to build another location similar to this in 2024. Um, people do not deserve to live in tents in weather like this in places um, that are, are not safe. We just have an obligation as a community to keep people safe, to treat them with the dignity and give them the kind of housing that the rest of us would expect. Put the services in place that they can then move into something more permanent. Jim, good to talk to you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Jim Burb is a Waterloo Regional Councillor, Chair of the Municipalities Community and Health Services Committee. I don't know if you knew this, but the world of podcasting is massive. Hi, I'm Leah. I'm the host of CBC's Podcast Playlist. There is such a constant avalanche of new releases, it can be hard to keep up. Luckily, Podcast Playlists can help. Every week, we deep dive into the podcast world to find the most compelling stories. And every month, we'll give you a sneak peek into the hottest new releases so you can stay ahead. Tune in to Podcast Playlist on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. In Peterborough, Ontario, another solution, a nonprofit there has started buying homes and repurposing them for supportive housing. Christian Harvey is executive director of One City Peterborough. Christian, good morning to you. Thanks for having me. Well, how does this work? You buy a house and then what happens? Yeah, so what we do is we look uh, we look for houses, uh, we purchase them, and then uh, almost right away we're housing individuals in those homes. We run them as congregate houses, and so we rent out bedrooms, uh, and that allows us to, to rent to uh, usually about four people at a time in each home. Con congregate houses, I mean, people might think of, of this as what people used to refer to as a rooming house or an SRO, yeah. uh, short-term uh, occupancy. I is that what this is? Yeah, so it's sort of like that. But what we learned is we focus on smaller houses. So often rooming houses would be quite a bit larger, a lot more rooms. Uh, and that ends up kind of like warehousing people. What we want to focus on is creating communities, right? Most of the individuals who find themselves, because of social assistance rates and such, uh, are not able to afford uh, full apartments. And so what we wanted to do is find a way to create housing that provides a room but does so in a way that creates community in that home so you don't feel like you're being warehoused but actually living in community with people. How many people are you housing through this initiative? 
We house about 50 people. 50 people. What, what kind of difference has that made? I mean, set us in Peterborough for people who don't know the community. And I mean, we just heard about what's happening in the Waterloo region. What, what does the, the housing crisis and the homelessness crisis in your community look like? Yeah, you're looking at about at any one time about 300 people living in homelessness. So 50 people makes a difference, right? We're, we're, we're looking at finding ways uh, to, to provide housing and provide it quickly. The benefit of this model is that we can actually, um, we can actually, the turnaround from like, uh, from, from purchasing a house and housing people is really, really quick. The other way in which we go about it is that we actually do property management management for other landlords who are saying, we want to address this issue, but we don't know how. So we get hired to to actually house people in their houses. We manage the home, and we have six homes that we do that for either uh, nonprofit landlords or uh, or or uh, private landlords. Where are you getting the money to buy the houses? Uh, donations. So this the, this program, both our supports and the way in which we purchase, is is through people uh, donating. Mm. Um, to be honest, two of the houses that we currently own used to be houses we property managed, and then the landlord liked what we were doing and sold us the home. And for people who move in, how do you ensure that that the residents are compatible with this sort of shared living? I mean, it's it, it you are in close quarters with people that you may not know. Yeah. So one of the things that we really try and do is increase the autonomy for the individuals living in the home. So they have a say in who moves into their home with them. Um, so often, again, when people are moving into what you call a rooming house, they have no say in their roommates. And yet when I want to live somewhere, I want to have a say in that. So we make sure that our staff are working with the individuals living in that home to have a say in who else moves in. And is there anyone else who is on site with them? Are there services that are provided, what have you, in the home itself? Yeah, so all our homes receive um, housing support services, so have staff that connect them. Uh, now, again, our goal is to get as many people housed as possible. So 27 of those in, of those 50 individuals are supported by our own staff who come in regularly to check in to see how they're doing. But there's also the remainder are supported by staff of other organizations. So our goal is to work with any organization to find uh, as much housing for people as possible. And are there rules that the residents have to follow? Yeah, but again, the residents uh, have a say in creating those rules. Mm. So each home is different. Uh, it, these are people's houses, and it's not for us to come in and say, this is exactly how you need to live. So each home kind of creates their own rules to see uh, how they're going to operate. In Montreal, it's interesting. There are similar groups that are taking on a similar approach. There's this joint initiative by two nonprofits in that city that's going to see an 18-unit apartment building built including units that are big enough for couples and families mm. that might otherwise find it difficult to find somewhere to live. Have a listen to James Hughes with the Old Brewery Missions. We have indeed found a design, a place, and a program for the people who are going to be there that is going to be really bringing value to the community. Is this something that you would consider, kind of scaling up with a larger project? Oh, of course. We're always looking for creative alternatives to address our housing crisis. So I think I think attempting any of these models, whether it be buying up housing that already exists, creating these um, these modular home or tiny home communities, buying up apartment buildings, we need to have a variety. I think the problem is often we look for the single solution, which there won't be to a crisis such as this. Creative alternatives of all kinds are needed to address this sort of thing. Tell me more about that, because just in the last minute or so that we have, how when we talk about housing and homelessness, to a lot of people, it can seem like an intractable problem. It's so big that you don't know where to start dealing with it. And we'll say, we need to build more housing, but that's going to take a long time 
to build. So what sort of creativity, and we've heard some examples of it, including what you're doing, what sort of creativity do we need to put front and center right now? Yeah, I think we need to look at those long-term solutions of builds, but we can do things immediately, such as there is stock available that our individuals who are experiencing homelessness just can't access. So if we can find ways to make that available to people, such as partnering with private landlords to say, we'll support you in doing this work, buying up, having nonprofits buy up housing, and government actually giving nonprofits the resources to buy up that housing could actually house people immediately. And I think that's that's we don't have to wait two, three years down the road. We can house people immediately with these sort of creative solutions. And you see a real difference being made right now in Peterborough. Oh, very much so. I mean, it is so fascinating to see the individuals that we support not only being housed, mm. but now uh, being employed, uh, being creative, um, seeing their resources go. It's amazing. Christian, really glad to talk to you about the work that you're doing. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Christian Harvey, Executive Director of the nonprofit One City Peterborough. There are, I'm sure, other solutions like this happening across the country. What innovative ideas when it comes to housing are you seeing in your communities? Is there a project that we need to know about? Let us know. You can email us, thecurrent at cbc.ca. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.